Welcome to episode 108 of Stage Worthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stage Worthy is a podcast about Canadian theatre makers featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stage Worthy on Facebook and Twitter at Stage Worthy Pod, and you can find the website at stageworthypodcast.com. And if you want to find me, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and you can find my website at philrickaby.com. My guest this week is playwright and actor Audrey Dwyer. Audrey's play, Calpurnia, produced by Nightwood and Sulong Theatre, runs January 14th to February 4th at Buddies and Bad Times Theatre in Toronto. Just one note, uh, during our conversation, Audrey mentions uh, police officers in schools, and recently, thanks to the efforts of Black Lives Matter, the Toronto District School Board decided to end that program. Here's our conversation. studied at the National Theatre School? Yes. But before that, what would it, like, when did you know the theatre was a thing for you? Um, well, I was raised in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and uh, I went to the University of Manitoba for a couple of years, um, studied English literature and theatre, and... Uh, I thought I wanted to be a journalist, okay. and then I thought I'd much rather be inside the story sure. than tell the same story that everybody else is mm-hmm. telling. So you were, you were already studying theater when you were at the University of Manitoba? Yeah. So had you been exposed to theater much before that? Yeah, I mean, I did some theater in church, mm-hmm. like I was in the school play, and I, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I just did like... A show here, a show there. Yeah. Did a friend show? Like I was going to ask about yeah. Fringe because you know in 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 Winnipeg you can't really. There's no way to avoid Fringe. It's such a no. central thing. Yeah. Um, did did the fact that that, that was such a, a major part of the community there sort of uh, inform your theatrical direction? Yeah, definitely. I did uh, a few fringe shows. Uh, improv is also huge in Winnipeg, okay. and so I did a lot of improv too. Um, I did my first professional show at the Manitoba Theatre Centre. Okay. Uh, it was The Crucible, and that was that was an excellent and fun time playing one of the like wild girls in that play. Um, but it was after after that that I felt like I wanted to get more training, work mm-hmm. on my voice, yeah. work on my physicality. And so, is that, did you hope to get that from the University of Manitoba, or was that something that you knew that you could get from the National Theatre? Well, actually, like, I was uh, being directed by Martha Henry in that oh, production okay. of The Crucible, mm-hmm. and uh, we were in the stairwell, uh, just sort of, like, hanging out, and she said to me, have you thought about, like, doing this professionally? Mm-hmm. like?" And I said, yeah, I think I'm going to go to Vancouver and uh, try to be on the X-Files. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. And she was like, oh, well, you know, if you, you know, go to theater school, you will uh, be able to develop your voice. You'll be able to develop your physicality so that you can have a long-term career mm-hmm. um, and basically, like, have longevity in the industry. Yeah. So I auditioned, and then I got in. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, was it the only place you auditioned? It was the only place I auditioned. Mm. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. How, how was it there? Uh, it was, like, huge. Yeah. Uh, you're constantly in class. You're constantly pushing yourself. Mm-hmm. I think the greatest lesson um, I learned there was awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, being aware of yourself and uh, how to get what you need um, by being aware of what you need. Mm. Was it was it difficult to change provinces? A little bit. Yeah, yeah it was uh, it was such a <laughs> it was such an interesting uh, time like finding a place to stay. I didn't know how to speak um, French and my uh, mom came with me 
and we looked for apartments together, uh, mm-hmm. which was, uh, I think, a little nerve-wracking for us both. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be close to the school. Um, I wanted to be close to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. You know, she was very worried about me being away from home for the first time. Um, but we found a place that was, you know, a few minutes away from the school. Mm-hmm. So it was easy to get there and back. Do you think it would have been... Um easier to do that without your mother is does having your mother help you find a place add a, an element of stress um well you know what i was how old was i i was 19 when i had my yeah first time away from home um she definitely helped i didn't find it too stressful with her um, what was hilarious with uh, both of my parents is that they um, helped me pack my suitcase. And when I, um, when I got to my apartment and I opened it up, there were 17 rolls of toilet paper <laughs> and five tubes of toothpaste. <laughs> yeah. Gotta make sure you can get those. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. They just wanted to make sure that I was okay. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. Did you, were you writing when you were there? We had a playwriting class, okay. and, but um, that wasn't my focus at all. Like, I was mm-hmm. way more interested in being an actor. Sure. Um, I think I might have written a monologue or two, but definitely wasn't um, really focused on that. Sure. When did you start focusing on that? I think a few years after I graduated, I graduated in 2001, mm-hmm. um, I started to feel like I needed to write parts for my friends. Mm-hmm. I needed to, like, just give my friends things to do that they wanted to do on stage mm-hmm. and not to play stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I started writing. I started uh, at... Nightwood Theatres right from the HIP program mm-hmm. and uh, at that time we just had to write like a 15 minute piece and um, yeah I wrote a piece about a young woman burning her house down mm. and uh, it you know it was what it was <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's how I started and then I started uh working at Second City mm-hmm. in their touring company and I took a, a bunch of improv courses and writing courses there mm-hmm. because I wanted the challenge of um, comedy. Sure. And from there I wrote another piece and then Calpurnia. Mm. Is there something that, that you were surprised to learn at Second City that you hadn't learned in any of your other yeah, I mean, one. I think one of the things that I left with was uh, the immediacy of comedy mm. and always protecting the person with the lowest status. Mm. So if you're making a joke, it's not uh, good enough to make fun of the person who has the least amount of power. At the end of the scene, they should have the most power. Is that... And I'm thinking about, like, old comedy... Hmm. where I don't think we always did that. Um, is that something relatively new for Second City, or is that has been? do you think that's been something that's been there for a long time? I actually, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Hmm. Like, I, I don't know if they felt like it was a, a necessary thing for politics, hmm. or if it was about we can't have an audience of... X amount of people laughing at the person mm. with the least amount of power. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Because mm-hmm. I think that, that an audience today won't go with that. Yes. We will, we'll, we will side with that person. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about where we're at in the world right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, we've evolved, yeah. and that's what entertainment is supposed to do. That's mm-hmm. what theater and, and film and all of these art forms are supposed to do. They're supposed to move us forward yeah. so that we're not yeah. laughing um, at jokes about, like, hitting your wives yeah. to silence them. Like, that's not yeah. funny anymore, no. right? But it was before, and people could relate, and yeah. that was 
a, a beautiful, wonderful thing. Yeah. You know? But many years later, we know that that's not funny. So and we, we have, have such a hard time looking at those things now. That yeah. We're like, oh, yeah. our parents thought this was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. It's yeah. really wonderful. Yeah. Um, so Calpurnia is about... Well, it's sort of about To Kill a Mockingbird. Right? Yes. It's about the, the maid? Yes. Okay. So tell me a little bit about, about this play. So uh, Calpurnia is about a number of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, it is inspired by To Kill a Mockingbird. And if you see it you will be able to enjoy it even if you don't know anything about To Kill a Mockingbird. There's enough action mm. within it that you'll be able to see it as like a fully realized play. Sure. Um, but in it, Julie is trying to reclaim To Kill a Mockingbird mm. by writing a screenplay from the focus of the Finch family maid, Calpurnia. Mm. Okay. Hmm. It's strange because I'm think as you're saying, you know, if you don't know To Kill a Mockingbird, I'm thinking they're still teaching that in school, right? Yes. We all, if we went to public school, we read it, whether or not we yes. used Cole's notes or Cliff notes or something like that to get through it. We've all we all have some kind of connection with it. Yes. If you haven't read the book, there's a huge mm-hmm. chance you've seen the film. Mm-hmm. What is it that drew you to Calpurnia? Um, the character. Yeah. Well. Um, I was doing a play where I was playing a maid, and one of my co-actors remarked that the the character I was playing was so strong because she was so silent. Mm. Um, she was being uh, berated uh, racially, and she she didn't speak up. Mm. And so he felt that I was really strong because I was silent. And I thought that was interesting because... Um, that wasn't necessarily a, a choice. Mm-hmm. Playwright wrote those uh, yeah, yeah. those lines. Um, it was an interpretation, and uh, I immediately became curious as to like why he felt that was a, a sign of strength. Yeah. Anyways, we spoke a lot about it, and he revealed that uh, the that stereotype is reinforced through literature, which made him believe that. These women were silent, strong and silent. Right. These women, these maids, yeah. and I thought, oh, I don't, I don't think that these women were so silent, mm. and that's what inspired me to. Mm. One of the things that inspired me to like work on this piece. It's true. I think that there's silence in, like we see it in the portrayal in movies. There's a mm-hmm. lot of of that silence, but I wonder. That's a that's a white person's ideal of what the servant should be is seen and not heard and sometimes not even seen. Mm-hmm. So I wonder that's that if that's his experience with that role, then then it's no wonder that he was like that strength. Yeah, possibly like a mammy culture and that specific stereotype mm-hmm. um, is very intentional. I did a lot of research on uh, mammy culture and I discovered that one of the reasons why uh, these maids are silent or asexual Mm -hmm. or almost without a personality is so that these classes that are engaging uh, with uh, either a a play, a film, a novel, they can feel like they've done nothing wrong Mm -hmm. by having a maid. Um, Usually those maids weren't paid well. Mm -hmm. A lot of them were assaulted. A lot of them had... uh, uh, like terrible work experiences. They yeah. were not the wonderful family mothers that we have been uh, taught to believe that they yeah. are. So it was it was a very um, enlightening time to understand what the function of that maid was. Yeah, it's interesting because you know as we record this, we are heading into the Christmas season, mm-hmm. and one of the one of the popular movies at this time of year is It's a Wonderful Life, which I have. You know, mixed feelings about because whenever we see the family at home when they're in the past, Mm -hmm. they have their maid Mm -hmm. that is taking a lot of shit from the younger son. Yes. Um, And they're playing it off like, oh, she's she's into it, but she doesn't really have an option there except to play along. Yes. It's a really kind of uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable scenes to watch in this quote-unquote beloved film. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but it's it's clear that like that role, she's like this is a white person's role. She's not going to speak up there. Yeah. So. Yeah, and these films um, and these novels are so they are beloved. Mm-hmm. They just evoke such warm feelings. Yeah. They are filled with nostalgia. They're intentionally nostalgic. Yes. Um, You know, in the film To Kill a Mockingbird, and some people say in the book, like, it's just got this beautiful mood of sadness Mm. to it. Um, And as we listen to it, we can really be hearkened back to this time when people were racist and sexist. And we can really luxuriate in the fact that, like, we're not like that anymore. Sure. The, the thing that I always found interesting when I when I read To Kill a Mockingbird is the racism is so casual. It's never is just there, and so it's really easy to just sort of like, from a white perspective, ignore it and think, ah, oh, it's this idyllic Southern. It's so calm and relaxed, and that's the easy way to see it when you have the advantage of having light skin that casual racism has got to be different coming at it from a different point of view. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And I think if you watch the movie now, which um, a few friends and and I did, we were shocked. Mm. We were shocked by um, how how painful the the film is today and how absolutely unbelievable you know Atticus Finch is the good guy John Ewell is the bad guy and everything in between is uh, kind of uh, neutral yeah and so you know when John Ewell is killed it's as if racism is over you know and that's not the case like the the city is absolved of its stain because the bad guy is gone Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the the casual uh Racism um, is vibrant and alive. Mm. It's it's one of those books that I feel like if we revisit it, we need to find a new way to relate to it, mm. um, and that the way that we're approaching um, the dissection of it in school today it needs to change. I wonder because you know it's been a long time since I was in school studying mm-hmm. that book, and I, I do wonder how they're approaching it and are they asking the difficult questions or are we just still just reading it for what it is don't ask questions about that because that's uncomfortable for us to talk about Mm -hmm. there are uh, a few uh, entries in Mm -hmm. that don't really change Mm -hmm. so um, the n-word is one of them right Um, why shouldn't we say the n-word and uh, equality. Yeah. We're all equal. Those are the two major tenets of uh, the book, according right. to educators. Right. Um, I spoke to a friend of mine who uh, said that he's been trying to, a, a white guy, has been trying to uh, have, the, have the, school, uh, the schools that he works at not teach that book. He, he tries to recommend other yeah. books. Um, and he's found that over the 10 years, little by little, teachers are discovering that they can't look um, their black kids, their black students in the eye, because they're actually not addressing the fullness of the book. It makes them uncomfortable. Well, yeah. I mean, how can you read this book that doesn't, and, and not address it, it's not part of the curriculum, mm-hmm. but also read this book that uses the N-word pretty liberally? Um, it's the same as if we were studying Huck Finn mm-hmm. um, and just using the word in the context of a classroom ignores what that word means to the people of color that are, that are hearing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, we, you've got uh, one part of the book, uh, Tom Robinson uh, is, is escaping from the police mm-hmm. and he's shot at 17 times uh, and dies. And so you read that today, mm. and you've got young black men in the classroom. And if you're not dissecting that and looking at police violence, yeah. um, not just in the United States, but no, here in Toronto, here too, yeah. if, you're not, if you're not willing to dissect that, mm-hmm. then 
how are you serving all of your students? You're not. You're not. You're not. If we don't look at Boo Radley, uh, who for some is the first time they've uh, read about a person with mental illness. Yeah, yeah. If you're not yeah. dissecting that, if you're not talking about mental illness, mm. then you're missing a huge part of the book. God, it, sounds, it sounds like we're, we're still teaching the book in the same way we did 20 years ago. without Because you could do, from all of these themes, you could do an entire semester di- dissect, dissecting all of these things mm-hmm. in a high school. But they're just like, Let's read the book, get to, yeah. get to the next one. And I mean, I think that we know that we're all equal already. Yeah. In fact, uh, black people, indigenous people, um, <clears throat> people of color, we know that we're equal. Yeah. So how are you, <clears throat> like, we don't need that lesson. Um, and I also think that a lot of white people know that we're equal. Sure. So if we can all agree that that, <laughs> that lesson sure. has been uh, learned, then what else is there? Like, oh, there are so many other things we yeah. could be taking from that book. A part of um, the play that uh, I really wanted to address was allyship. Mm. How we show up for each other. Sure. Um, I think... You know, kids, if they're simply learning that we're equal, Mm -hmm. when bad things happen, uh, like racism or sexism Mm -hmm. or Islamophobia, when bad things happen, uh, you go, oh, I would never do that. I'm I'm good. As opposed to going, oh, what can I do to help? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that's one of the ways that we can, like, look at this book. Sure. I think that's that's definitely an important important Mm -hmm. question to be looking at. You you've unpacked a lot about about the book, and um, so for looking at the maid and, and and in your play, which is about somebody writing a screenplay, um, how does how does all of that come out? Yes. Okay. Well, I put that all of all of the allyship, uh, racism, sexism. Uh, classism, I put that in the action of the play. And so you've got a young woman who uh, is named Julie. She's uh, from a very wealthy class. She's Jamaican-Canadian, and she's writing this screenplay. She's having trouble. She can't find Calpurnia's voice, and she needs to... She needs to go deep and find it. Mm. Uh, her brother, Mark, suggests that she's unable to because she's not black enough. And they both have their own concept of blackness. Mm. She's, she's in a bind. Um, that pisses her off. Yeah. That strikes a chord for her. And... Um, she proceeds to do the work. She proceeds to do some research on how to find that voice. Mm. The the concept of not black enough is something that we heard we heard in the states during from some people during the, the Barack Obama years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I think I've heard thrown around occasionally. Mm-hmm. Is is that do people like is that something that people get told frequently that they're not black enough or? Well, you know, I think that the the thing with being black is it's something that people feel like they can comment on, mm. that it's um, something that can be assessed. Sure. It your your connection to your culture is so unique, it's so personal, it's so intimate mm-hmm. that it, it's it's oddly. Um, Accessible, yeah, and I think it happens on many levels. Uh, it happens in the queer community. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if if someone doesn't read you the way they expect to read you, mm-hmm. then they can judge you based sure. on what you're supposed to look like. Yeah. You know. Hmm. Yeah. Um, has Calpurnia been performed before? No, I've had a couple of stage readings of it. Um, one was uh, Nightwood's New Groundswell Festival in 2014, and uh, it was absolutely wonderful. It was a great time. The room was packed. We had to add more chairs. Uh, Calpurnia is a comedy, mm. and uh, people were laughing. Mm. People were like, standing up, looking around. It was. Mm. It's one of those plays where... You're laughing, but you're not sure you should be. 
and you're, you yeah, know, yeah. looking at your peers around you going like, oh, should I be laughing at this? This is hilarious. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's really great for that. How long did it take you to write? It took me about three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a part of the Obsidian Writers Unit, mm-hmm. and I was writing something that was just awful. And at the time, I was also in a play, and I, you know, spoke earlier about the conversation that I had. And I had asked a friend of mine um, what he wanted to see in the theater. Mm. And he was like, I want to see something that has to do with the past, but is a part of the present. Mm. And we, we brainstormed for a bit, and I was like, oh... Gone with the Wind, and I was like, no, we can't do Gone in the Wind. Another theater company is doing Gone with the Wind. And I was like, oh, Casablanca. I'm like, oh, no. And then I remembered To Kill a Mockingbird, and yeah. I had read it and studied it in high school, so I thought, there's something there. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find it, I mean, every play has its difficult moments. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find it difficult to write or did did was it an easier play to write well the first draft flew out of me yeah it was just have you um, had that experience oh yeah, I have. yeah i have and this doesn't always bode well for the second draft but the first draft can <laughs> yes. really just sort of fly out and then yeah then we have to fix it and like make it good yes you know? yeah the first draft i wrote in like four hours yeah it was just magic. And then we had a, a reading um, at Obsidian, mm-hmm. and people laughed, and people mm-hmm. were very supported, supportive. They were like, this is, this is the piece. This mm-hmm. is it. It's like, this is juicy. And then I got a grant, and I worked on uh, character and plot, and I wrote 200 pages, and it was just too much. Yeah. Uh, and then I got another grant, and we like pared it all the way down. Mm-hmm. So... Such a process. Yeah. You know? The play that you were writing that wasn't very good. And this is like <laughs> one of those things that's fascinating. Anybody yes. who writes has had that moment. Where yes. Like, this is the thing that I'm writing, and it's a train wreck mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. How did you figure out that it was. Because sometimes you can be blind to how bad something that you're working on is, and sometimes it just smacks you right in the face. Yeah. Did it. Was it apparent to you right out of the gate that this was not working, or was it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I I wrote a I wrote this play, and uh, I mean, I think it was okay. Yeah, it wasn't exciting off the top, and mm-hmm. so I thought, well, I'll just work on it, and I'll find the excitement of it. But I I was bored. It was about mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. it was about a mom and her two daughters, and I just I just couldn't I couldn't get the fire going. Yeah. Um, I really wanted to write something that had people sit up in their seats. And as an actor, I know what it feels like to be in something that is um, is just fiery. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like when it's almost like no acting required. The 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 words and the the conflict yeah. are so hot mm. that it's actually exhilarating. Yeah, yeah. I've only had the pleasure of seeing a couple of things that have just like you sit down and it starts and you just sort of are immediately like mm-hmm. forward on your seat. And mm-hmm. Everybody in the room knows it's good. Yeah. I've also seen things that are just sort of like that don't have the fire. They're yeah. just sort of like there. They're okay. Yeah. But yeah. they don't they don't draw you in. Yeah. I really wanted to write something that had people sitting at the edge of their seats mm. going like, I cannot believe this. And as I was writing uh, Calpurnia, uh, there was a point where I felt nauseous. Mm. And I went, okay, I've got something. Um, you know, one of my theater mentors uh, said to me that we want to see the character get into the mud. And we want to watch them get out of the mud. Mm. And with that piece that I was writing... Uh, that I didn't like. Nobody was in the mud. Yeah. Everybody was just talking yeah. and the information and narration, but nobody was in trouble. Mm. And so I wrote a piece where, like, every character is in trouble. Mm. That uh, it's. I think that's something that we sometimes forget is the, is how important it is for our characters to to get into shit. Mm-hmm. Um, we're so polite. And sometimes yeah. in Canada, our theater is really polite. Yes. And we're so polite that we don't want these characters to get into too much trouble. Mm-hmm. Yep. But we kind of, they kind of gotta. Yeah. They gotta just like, you're, like you said, crawl into the mud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I ask you what it was that was making you feel nauseous? Well, uh, you know, Julie does 
of something that's just terrible. Oh, okay. I don't want to, <laughs> I can't tell you. I'm not going to 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 tell you. Something messy mm-hmm. and something um, instinctual, yeah. something visceral. Yeah. That y- you, you mean you know the average person might never do, mm-hmm. but the character is like, oh, I'm gonna do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do it. The stakes are so high. The yeah. need is just so strong. Mm-hmm. So, one of the things you, you were kind enough to send me your bio, and a lot of people don't do that. I go into mm-hmm. a lot of these things blind. I mean, one of the first things in your bio is talking about. Uh, your work in social justice and things like that. Um, a lot of a lot of playwrights are just content to just like I'm just a playwright and I, you know I don't don't have to deal with these things. But to put that you put that front and center, which sort of like indicates how important it is to you. And so, what draws you to that? Well, uh, it's very important for me to be doing whatever I can artistically to move the conversation forward mm-hmm. and to promote action mm-hmm. and so in the pieces that I write I empathy is very important to me but action is also very important mm-hmm. to me and so in the play I display allyship and I display awful allyship and I I do that to show us the audience ourselves you know, um, mm-hmm. I show what it is to be a frustrated young black woman. Mm-hmm. I show what it is to be uh, a young black woman who's coming into their politics right. and what it looks like when you mess up and what we do with people who mess up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this sort of uh, disposability culture that, you know, if you mess up, uh, politically, if you say something wrong, someone's going to call you out, and then you're like excluded from community. Right. I wanted to uh, show audiences like what that looked like. Sure. Not everybody's going to be able to identify it as um, as politically as mm-hmm. some of my f- friends would. Sure. But all in all, I do feel like it. It's it's my way of contributing to what the world would look like mm. if we all had the same amount of power. Mm. You know, it's interesting because thinking about, you know, you're saying that, that you know, maybe some people won't see the poli- like how political it is or those things. In a way, in my mind, that's a little, that's more effective than wielding a sledgehammer mm-hmm. for the political message mm-hmm. because it gets under your skin if you don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas when you try to hit somebody over the head with your idea, they, they tend to get out of the way. Yes. Um, so for the people who recognize the politics, that will be something they go, yes. And for the other people who don't quite recognize it, it's going to, it gets under the skin in, a, mm-hmm. in a, a, an effective way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, for a lot of these characters, they're just mm-hmm. doing their thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a, a character named Thompson who... Um, so an older white man. Mm-hmm. He's got a Jamaican wife. He has mixed race kids. Um, he's deeply connected to his wife's Jamaican family. Sure. He travels to Jamaica. He has a full and varied experience mm-hmm. of uh, blackness, yeah. which gives him permission to comment on it. So he thinks. Yes, of course. And so, you know, when you have people who are... Um, you know, given permission by a, a certain group or a certain group of people to engage. Yeah. You know, we, it's interesting to me that racism, uh, like sexism, uh, is one of those things where y- you think that you're not doing that thing because you're a good person or you, you have a background. Sure. But what we forget is everybody's an individual. Yeah. And it's not enough to treat people the way you would want to be treated. you got to treat people the way they want to be treated. Yeah. And yeah. that just means more work. Yeah. No, it's interesting because the idea of because you have a relationship with 
black kids, black wife, whatever, gives you the perspective. And it, a white guy would think that, right? Yeah. Totally. Um, I grew up, my brother, my brother's adopted, he, he's black. So um, I grew up with, uh, I think, early on, a bit of a, the same kind of idea when I was, when I was younger. Um, and it wasn't until much later that I realized how different our perspectives were mm-hmm. um, because his movement in the world was different from my movement in the world. Mm-hmm. When I learned how often he was pulled over when he was just driving to work. Yeah. You know, um, that kind of thing. And all the, little, the, all the little things that he experienced that I had no idea about because that's not how I see the world. Um, it was shocking, but also an important lesson to learn that even though we grew up together, our experiences are different because of the pigment of our flesh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so, Wait, yeah. Do you feel shocked still when he tells you these things? Always. Yeah. Always. Because, again, I know it. But yeah. to hear it, like... Um, and, you know, now he's got three kids, two of whom are boys, and and young black boys go from being cute to being considered dangerous almost overnight, depending on their size and their age. Um, and to watch that happen to his kids as well, mm-hmm. I'm constantly shocked by, mm-hmm. by that. And not because... Part of it is I like to think that people are supposed to be better than that. Um, and so I'm shocked by that. I'm shocked by the fact that it still happens, and it's almost 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that, that he keeps reminding me because I don't get to be complacent mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. It makes me question things that I do, yeah, which I think is important. Yeah. Um, and it's made me aware of my own white fragility, which some yeah. white people don't like to hear about. Yeah. But... It's like, it's made me very aware of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the, I think the common response is shock, Mm -hmm. right? And I think one of the reasons why uh, we get shocked is because we have, uh, we have a very, like, skewed idea of, like, what the world is. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying this, too, as uh, someone who consciously, uh, tries to feel like the world is like this wonderful place mm-hmm. all the time. You don't want to leave your house. Um, you wouldn't leave your house if you thought that every interaction was going to be horrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, my goal with Calpurnia is to show people what to do when you are shocked. Because mm-hmm. it's the shockedness that's a word it's the shockedness that uh makes us frozen mm. when we could be doing something about yeah, it yeah, yeah, you yeah. know um it's the, the now more than ever yeah. i think well i mean i think you're right because we've gone i remember do you remember the that glorious age just after you know maybe like less than 10 years ago just after Barack Obama was elected president and everybody was talking about how we live in a post-racial society. Yes. How quickly yes. we have gone from, ooh, race doesn't matter anymore, to hearing about Nazis marching in the streets. Yeah. And here as well. Yeah. We think, we like to think that it's a Canadian problem. Yeah. I, I, or the, sorry, it's an American problem. Yeah. It doesn't happen here. Yeah. It is here. Yeah, I mean, it, it's here, and it's, the scary thing is it's always actually been here. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that, you know, post-racial... I know, like, one man becoming president of the United States doesn't really change the lived experience of so many um, African-American people, no. um, nor does it change the experience of uh, black Canadians. Yeah. You, know, you know, it's 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 a thing. Yeah. Um, but it's not the thing. No. No, it's not the, the thing. Mm-hmm. It is interesting, though, I think, um, how slow we in Canada are to recognizing that we have our own work to do. Yeah. And um, I address that slightly in Calpurnia, mm-hmm. um, because Julie is essentially writing about an African-American um, experience. Uh, 
her brother says that she should be writing about a Canadian experience mm. and she addresses colonization in yeah. her work and um, it's just a brief moment where we get to see what her politic is as she is growing through her politics mm-hmm. she's like pushing through um, her values in order to to grow but it in Canada I feel like you know, we still feel like it's it's not the same. Yeah, no, in, in many ways, it is the same. When one of the first times I was in New York, just a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, this was like just after I think it was Eric Garvey, and there was the massive march. They really kind of launched the Black Lives Matter matters movement. Um, sort of like galvanized it into a thing. It was a march that had been going on for from like one o'clock in the afternoon. And my girlfriend and I at the time, we encountered it at like six o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we watched it. We stood in it. And as we were leaving, number one, we were able to leave, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, we left feeling so smug that this mm-hmm. kind of thing doesn't happen in Canada. Mm-hmm. And it was later on that I started really, you know, talking to my brother and his and his kids and things like that. That and, and just that it does happen here. We're quieter about it in some ca- in some ways, and in some cases we don't. It's not quite as dramatic, but it happens here, and we white people get to ignore it in a way that people of color don't. Yeah, I mean, I I had I had to take pause because you actually like in New York you were able to walk away from it. Well, that's the thing, right? <laughs> Whereas I feel um, that a lot of African Americans uh, did did that march with the complete risk of their life, absolutely uh, risking uh, employment. Um, it's it's such a huge risk to go yeah. on those marches, yeah, yeah. and I think you know. Here in Canada, we we really it's not in the news. Um, it's not uh, documented in the same way. Um, it's it's here and it's always been here. You yeah. know, um, stop and frisk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got carding. Yeah. Um, it's it's terrible. Yeah. Not to mention the stuff that uh, happens that has no name. You yeah. know. Um, yeah. There's nothing, I think, more frightening than um, how police and schools have been quite normalized. Mm -hmm. And I wonder about that, you know. Um, In the second part of the play, we get to see how Mark um, is, like, working on a a case. Uh, He's a lawyer. And I touch on uh, police violence slightly, Mm -hmm. but I, I think... You know, having police in schools and the normalization of that is harrowing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we... It's ha- it happens here, the, the kind of racial violence, it happens here. We're not exposed to it in the same way. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy... Um, again, because of, I think, books like To Kill a Mockingbird sure. that are... Um, dated, yeah. um, nostalgic. Yeah. That we as Canadians are left going, oh well, not us. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in fact, us, big time us. Oh yeah. I heard. I was talking to somebody, and they, you know, they had their father had grown up in the states, and he was black. They were black. And they, yeah. Her father said that he preferred racism in the states to racism in Canada. Because at least in racism in the states, you knew where it was, and in Canada, it was behind a hand or mm-hmm. so polite that it was it was ugly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How um, subtle it was. Yeah, it's uh, those kind of microaggressions can really mm-hmm. uh, really chip at you, yeah. um, and it can leave you feeling uh, quite displaced. Uh, there, it's it's unnameable, yeah. and it's insidious. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of uh, racism is also couched in ignorance, and mm-hmm. cou- is couched in um, 
I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really it's so harmful. We've white people are so easy. We forgive it. My uncle didn't know any better. Oh, it's just Uncle Ted. He's he's from another time. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. instead of instead of like calling Uncle Ted out for being a racist. Or yeah. Things like that. We we allow it. Yeah, yeah. And there, I mean, there are countless things mm-hmm. that people can do. I mean, they can Google it and find out what to do uh, when their uncle's being racist. Yeah. Uh, there are classes that you can take. Yeah. Um, you know, you can just say stop. You could start with stop and then Mm -hmm. uh, see what happens next. Um, It's just about moving from uh, being shocked Mm -hmm. to action. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, It's also about understanding that uh, in terms of allyship that you're you're never off the hook as an ally. Mm-hmm. Like you'd never get your ally gold star. Um, it's always something that you've got to like hand in at the end of the day. It's always and a work in progress. It's always a work yeah. in progress. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, as as soon as you're patting yourself on the back for a job well done, then you know you've done something wrong. No, you 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 get to if you had a silver star, you get to give that back. Yeah, you get that back. Um, in my writing, I'm I've written a, a role for a Filipina actress. Um, Julie's maid is Filipino, mm-hmm. and so uh, I have Filipino relatives and uh, Filipino friends, and I knew that from my experience as a, a black person. Uh, who's played tons of different roles? I knew that as a as a writer, I needed to honor the people that I was writing. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was really important to have uh, theater people read it mm-hmm. and give me um, extensive notes, um, and to have non theater people read it yeah. um, and also give me extensive notes. Mm-hmm. And that in the rehearsal process to be working like all alongside our actress who will be playing Pressy to make sure that I'm always on point. Mm. Because anytime I feel like um, as a black woman I've I've got it, then I know then that I'm I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's as an ally it's very important to check yourself yeah. and to be always willing to listen and um, self reflect. Yeah. And uh, apologize and do the work. Yeah, and I think I think some of us are really bad at apologizing when we get it wrong. Yeah, defensiveness is. Oh yeah, defensiveness it doesn't help. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm sorry I got it wrong. I'll mm-hmm. do better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like oh, I didn't know. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's interesting, like looking at To Kill a Mockingbird now, and you know the character of Scout, mm. such an innocent. Um, also an icon, yeah. um, a huge icon for the queer community. And, you know, Atticus teaches her about racism, um, the mob of angry men who want to lynch Tom Robinson, um, you know, meet him at the courthouse and X, Y, Z. Anyways, he tells Scout that... These, this lynch mob has a blind spot that their uh, passion for killing this black man who's innocent is a blind spot and that's always stood out to me mm. um, because that, that kind of hatred that kind of action is not a blind spot mm. Mm. it's a choice yeah. and so you know, when you look at the book and you go, okay, this is how we're teaching our young people about racism. Mm-hmm. This is how we're uh, letting them kind of sit back in mm-hmm. um, a, a passivity that only makes things worse. Yeah. You know, um, if we're on the bus and we're seeing something that is racist or sexist, it's our duty. Like, we can't sit here as Canadians and say we live in the best country in the world. Mm. And when we see things, we're, we're like, well, I can't believe that happened. Or, oh, that's not me. Yeah, like, yeah, we, yeah. We, yeah. Have to, we, we have to speak up. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm, I feel like there are, there are other ways to examine uh, mm. the book. 
which is one of the reasons why I wrote the play. Yeah, yeah. No, we need. As you talk about it, I think you know how are we still. Like how has the curriculum in schools not evolved? That we're still reading mm-hmm. these same these same books yeah. in the same way. We need like there are other books that we could be reading. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, these some of the teachers love the book, mm. and it's so easy for them to talk about a book that they know that they have like sure. an emotional connection to. Yeah. I think it's very expensive to buy new books. Yeah, you know. Also, curriculum is. It's, it's calcified and solidified mm-hmm. by people who are not the teachers now. Yes. And it's, it's they, like they don't have the freedom that they used to have. Yeah. Um, I feel like when I was in school, the teacher might be like, all right, we're reading this book. They have a list of books that we can read. Everybody does these ones. Here, we're going to read this one. Yes. And now it's like, these are the books you're going to read. Yeah. Um, but again, I kind of wish that we'd examine them in a more mm-hmm. like, deep way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how did uh, this play? You said you're in rehearsal. Or we so, start rehearsal on uh, December 18th. Okay, so that's coming up. And yes. The show opens like near the beginning of January. Yeah, right? we open on January 17th. Yeah. So, like, this is like got to be pretty exciting. I'm really excited. Yeah. I really, um, as director, I'm absolutely thrilled and thankful that it's being produced by Nightwood Theater yeah. and Sulong Theater. Um, so I honestly, I, I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, everything's moving right along. Got to be kind of like a locomotive at this point. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're having tons of meetings yeah. and everything. It's really great. Yeah. Are you on social media? Yeah, I mean, I'm on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't tweet. Mm-hmm. Do you Insta? I am on Instagram. Yeah. Um, but my Instagram is private. Okay. okay. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Um, do you have a website? No, oh. but I should get one. Should Everybody's get one. telling me I should get one. It really helps when people <laughs> want to Google you. It's like, it just comes up. You know? Yeah, if, if you Google me, you'll you'll just get like a bunch of headshots and old plays that There's I've done. a lot of information about uh, Calpurnia, if you Google you right now. Yes, so yeah, that too. Calpurnia, that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for Thank having Thank you, Phil.